morning, church. The reading this morning is out of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for everybody that's gathered here this morning. I thank you for your word. We know that your word is good and your word is true. I just pray that uh, as we are grounded and rooted in your word and filled with your spirit, that we would reach out in love um, and that we would be fruitful in that, not for our own benefit, but for your glory and uh, to, to increase your kingdom more and more. I just pray that um, we would hold fast to your truth and to your word, that we would encourage each other, uh, build each other up, and just reach out to our community, to our family, to our friends, um, and just that we may see an increase uh, for your benefit, for your kingdom, and that that would glorify you. So I thank you for all things, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. The Alphas can be dismissed. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I guess it's not something that I want to actually, it's not like good morning, so sorry about that. I don't need the affirmation, although I probably have shown you that I do. Well, recently, if you've been watching or maybe not watching, reading some of the news in our area, uh, there's some gambling news. Uh, Vermont has passed in the recent weeks online sports betting. Yesterday, there was an article in Valley News that the casino is on its way to being approved in Lebanon. Uh, this is not for family fun. <laughs> Someone is going to get rich off of another person's addiction. There's been articles recently about how hospitals have potentially leveraged some of these transgender surgeries to make money. There's organizations over the last few years that have reaped in hundreds of millions of dollars over social causes and are now considering bankruptcy. Marijuana is legal and somebody profits off of it. There are bills in the state house to decriminalize prostitution. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. At the same time, some of you might be like, yeah. At the same time, there's regulations that our country has, like the EPA. It regulates so that capitalism and for the sake of profit, our waterways are not destroyed. Oil pipelines are not just good to get us cheap gasoline. Someone is making a lot of money off of that oil flowing through those pipelines. 
Not sure what to believe myself of all of these things, but I'm sure that there's bribes and handshakes that get greenlit these projects all the time. I love money is the root of all sorts of evil. This happens in the church as well. There's a large church in Australia, Hillsong. We like some of their music. But for 20 years, the lead pastor was shown to have used church money to protect his father from accusations of pedophilia. Two years ago, the lead pastor was removed from his role because he had a relationship with some women who were not his wife. Their New York City location removed their pastor for the same reasons. I was reading an article about it and it said the church had become a business. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Money is dangerous, but that's not really a problem. The problem is an evil heart, affectionate towards temporal pleasures. And so this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6, will show us what we should have with a proper hope, grounded in biblical teaching and believing truth. Friends, sin robs us of joy, but as taught in the Bible, believing the gospel, it provides us with everlasting joy and contentment. A proper hope, as Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, said that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. So happy Father's Day. Would you pray with me? Father, these things are hard to preach about. They're sensitive subjects, but your word shows us what is in our heart. And so, God, would you show us what's in our heart? Would you show us your fatherly love, your compassion towards your children? Would you help us to believe the gospel more and more and trust you, follow you, love you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength this morning? Would you be glorified in our time? Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read 1 Timothy 3, I mean, sorry, 6, verse 3 to 10. We'll start with the end of verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we have food and clothing. With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That 
our text this morning. And our points, main point this morning is the proper hope comes from biblical teaching and trusting the truth of the Bible. It doesn't come from the false teachers that are infiltrating and affecting this church in Ephesus. Paul wants Timothy to continue what we saw last week. Teach and urge these things. Last week, we saw that honor was a test of our godliness. And this week, this morning, we will see that our hope is a test of our godliness as well. A proper hope, rather, is grounded in the Bible's teaching and believing the truth that it gives us. Proper behavior is a result of proper doctrine. We've seen that as we've gone through this letter to Timothy. And Paul explains and he expounds on the necessity of biblical teaching. You'll see that in verses 3 to 5. Proper teaching corresponds with godliness. This word godliness we have seen numerous times in this letter. And to Timothy, to the church, Paul wants this group of people to be godly. John Calvin called this word godliness proper worship. Where worship derives from the Old English words of worship. It shows what we place our value on. And proper worship acknowledges God's supreme worth over all things. The false teachers in Ephesus, they were peddling their lies for material gain. But friends, our hope is founded in Bible teaching. The sound words are the affirmations of the outworkings of the gospel that transforms our hearts. True teaching leads to godliness and a proper hope. Look at here, verses 3 to 5. False teachers, they appear knowledgeable, yet they're ignorant. They love controversy. They love envy. They desire that which is not theirs. They love excuse me, dissension. They love division. They have evil suspicions. They're always watching what is going on, constantly at friction, at odds, all the time. This week, I sent an email out as some of the things that took place at the SBC meeting. They, they went the way that I had hoped they had gone. But over Twitter, you would think that it's the end of the world. There are people that seemed upset, seeking division, wanting discord, thinking there was a conspiracy going on. And that is, as Paul says here, evil. It's not a proper hope. It's following the pattern of these false teachers. And Paul describes these false teachers as sick, with an unhealthy craving for unhealthy words. They are diseased. Depraved of mind, they're spoiled, or literally this means destroyed of rust. Deprived of truth, they long for the truth. They don't possess it, though, as being in a desert without any water. So we, we live in Vermont, right? Consider buying a car. You find a great deal. The paint looks perfectly shiny on it. No scratches. The motor runs great. The low mileage is low. And so you buy, you think you got a great deal, but you take it in for its first inspection and the inspector touches the fender and behind all that fresh paint is a lot of rust and the whole fender just crumbles to nothing. You were sold a lie, 
depraved of mind, being destroyed of rust is what is taking place here. I think we understand what rust does. And I'm reminded I need to go power wash all that salt and dirt still off of my truck. Or you go shopping, you buy some tomatoes. They're in a plastic package. They look really nice and bright and perfect. You get them home, you take them out of the package, and you set them on the counter, and it just flattens to mush because you didn't touch it. You didn't really inspect it. You were deprived of truth. The purchases of either the car or the tomatoes were in vain. And so why would we want those things? Well, when we put our teaching or our hope in the false teaching and the lies that provide temporal joy, that's what we're doing. But biblical teaching provides us with proper hope. I'm hesitant with these things, even with the stories I shared opening up our time. But it's my job to help you, to give you truth, to say, be careful with the things that you watch online. Friends, the algorithms know what will tickle your ears. Not everyone is bad, but don't believe everything that you hear or watch or listen to without considering how it lines up with Scripture. A few examples. T.D. Jakes, he does not believe in the Trinity. Don't listen to him. Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, they pitch self-esteem. They do not pitch the scriptures. It sounds evangelical, but it will lead to death. I will never have a large social media gathering. I will never have best-selling books, but I do have the Bible. Hold me to teaching the Bible to you. Proper hope is grounded in biblical teaching and believing the truth. Healers like Benny Hinn, they manipulate folks thinking that prosperity awaits them, but send them some money in response to what he's done. False teachers like him, as one person said, are a dangerous deceiver and fraud, a charlatan who enriches himself at the expense of others. The Bible, friends, says that our troubles are a result of the fall. And our lack of believing the truth is our problem with that. Not our lack of believing in ourselves. And they see these folks, they might sound appealing, but they are not teaching the scriptures. Seventh-day Adventists, Adventists, they want to avoid eternal punishment. And so they question God's goodness. And so they say there's no suffering or eternal conscious torment as a consequence of sin. And that leads to go do what you want. Joseph Smith, a local guy, an angel visited him and said, hey, there's other teaching that actually helps illuminate and even correct the Bible. Well, sin is real, so is hell, and the Bible needs no correction. These are false teachings. False teachers lead sheep astray. Some of those folks, like the Mormons, they're really nice people. But we test our hope with Scripture. Not what's within us, not what's being taught to us, what's in the Bible. We need biblical teaching to have a proper hope. 
And proper hope is grounded in that biblical teaching. It's also in believing the truth that's in the scriptures. Information should lead to transformation. Gospel doctrine should lead to a gospel culture. Let me reread verses 6 to 9 again. And what it says about believing the truth. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these will we, be, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. False teachers, friends, purpose and propose their appearance of godliness for gain. Paul says that godliness is not valued just in and of itself, but it's godliness with contentment that is great gain. We must not only rest in the Bible, but friends, we should believe it. Godliness with contentment shows who we trust. This word contentment, I sent an article out on my Facebook page this week, arose uh, out of the Greek idea of the Stoics, that they valued self-sufficiency. We can admit that's us too. I don't need anyone's help. Paul said his secret, though, was not self-sufficiency, and to the Philippian church, it was Christ's sufficiency. And a desire for more resources and more assurance of those resources means that we have abandoned the gospel. The psalmist declared, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as a noonday in Psalm 37. Proper hope is grounded in biblical teaching and believing the truth. Where our perceived circumstances are not always what is true. Superhuman strength won't help us in the end. Friends, we need to believe and trust the sovereign creator of the world, our loving Father, that the God of the scripture providentially controls everything for his glory and for our true and lasting joy. As John Piper said, the God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. I think you could use the word content in him. Self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, health, wealth, and happiness are not what we need. The Bible says it's not true to go into those things and to rest in those things because they will leave us always wanting. But we repurpose those thoughts of trusting in those things of the world and we trust God. We don't just get rid of our false teaching. We should be filling our minds with belief of the truth that we have in Scripture. That's why we gather here every week to remind ourselves because it doesn't take long in the six days between Sundays to forget. I probably forget later this afternoon. And contentment is trusting our self-sufficient, good and gracious, sovereign and loving Father who is in heaven. It's not enough to just know the biblical teaching. We are called to believe what the truth of the Bible says. 
where God allowed Satan to test the rich man's uh, Job, his, a man of character, allowed him to destroy his life. And after all this happened, Job said this in chapter 1, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Paul quotes that in verse 7 in our passage. Where short-term profits are gone, but joy is not dependent on Job's circumstances. He knew God, and he trusted in God. He believed the truth, but his truth or his belief turned into action and his proper living in light of who God is. Job trusted in a life that was to come, the source of life, because he was just passing through this earth. Like the psalmist in 119 says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Paul knows we need to survive with food and clothing. We see that in verse 8. I'm sure many of us would prefer to have heat in the winter. I'm sure our friends who live in Arizona would prefer air conditioning units in the summer. But Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread. Not next year's bread. Today. Where we trust God and we depend on Him. And that is, friends, our proper hope. And I don't know why some have more resources than others. Some say it's education. Some say it's their family. Some say it's hard work. But I think it's probably closer to God's providentially good, gracious, sovereign hand. By trusting in things of this world, Paul says in verse 9, it's a temptation. It's a snare. It's harmful. It leads to destruction. Desiring more is what Paul's saying here, demonic. It shows what our true worship is. Jesus also prayed, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And so pray that we don't give into these temptations, but rather we trust in God for what is best for us according to his word that we believe and we trust. Paul says it's a snare, it's a trap of the devil to catch animals, to bring them under a hostile control. Further, it leads to ruin, and ultimately, it leads to eternal conscious torment if we are denying our faith. Friends, we're getting close to the end of this letter. Hopefully, you've seen over the last couple months, avoid false teachers. This is the language of hell that Paul is giving us. Run away. Trust God. Remember those who have fallen. Learn from their mistakes. Trapped, they were destroyed. We shouldn't want that. What we hope in is just as much of a test to discern our worship of what we honor, which is what we saw last week, where we give not only respect, but our resources. It's not a mistake that now Paul talks about our resources here right after that. And John wrote his first letter. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Proper hope is grounded in biblical teaching and believing truth. Believing in the lure when tempted, will lead to moral ruin. Desire to be rich is dangerous. And so let's heed Paul's warning. I looked up some statistics that 70% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt within a couple years. 
It's an inescapable trap. It's an inescapable snare. And as the great theologian Puff Daddy said, mo' money, you know it, mo' problems. We can admit we wouldn't be any different than these folks that have declared bankruptcy. Although we desire these things, we are just as susceptible to the same end. And Paul gives the root of the problem. He says, be aware, for verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money isn't the root. The love of money is. It's also not the root. The love of money is a root. The word, those two words matter. The problem, friends, is an evil heart. Loving money is one manifestation of an evil heart, the evil that lives within us. And this is so harmful, it leads to death, a denial of our faith, a denying a trust of God. Money is a gift. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Our hope is not in our stuff, though. Our hope is in the giver of the stuff and what he provides for us. And since it can be evil or a gift, what do we do? We go to the Bible. And we trust the Bible. And so I think Paul would give us two things. Two things to do that he had the Colossian church do. Where we put to death our sin and we put on righteousness. Let's start with the hard one first. Colossians 3 verse 5. Paul says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the opposite of contentment, covetousness which he says is idolatry. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender, Proverbs 22, 7. And saying, I will pay for it later, is foolish. Because in the end, when you pay it off, it costs 10 times what it was worth when you bought it. Credit card statements can be a test of our worship. So should you put it to death? Think about last week's topic of honoring widows and elders, and masters with respect and resource. It's not by accident what I said. But our response oftentimes is, well, that's my hard-earned money. Maybe it's not a desire for more, but rather a desire to preserve what we have. There's a lot of talk in the news, like, we don't want to be Marxists, which is, I think, a social agenda of greed. But maybe our aversion to Marxism is also testament to the fact that we're just greedy and we don't want to give anything we have away. We don't want to be generous. So should we put that to death too? The Jews wandered in the wilderness and every day God provided manna, daily bread for them. They wanted to return to slavery though because the food was better in Egypt. They had melons and a diversity of food and we just got to eat this manna every day. I think our thoughts go down those paths too. I wish I had fill in the blank like somebody else had. Should we put that to death? The sun is warm. It can burn. Bees provide honey, but they sting. 
Michael Reeves says, to covet is to believe it good, to possess what God has not given me. It is to believe God is not good and that I know better. And we are created to rest in the source of the gifts, to delight in God. So what do we need to put to death? Every day we are tempted. We are faced with the same question that Adam and Eve were given. Did God really say? Does God want you to be happy? The world and false teachers and the false teaching that they provide tempt us with other hopes. And greed leads to compulsive trapping behavior like the compulsive liar that always needs to keep the story straight before they get caught in the lie. The compulsively covetous person will continually find all of their resources never satisfying. And Paul even ties this to sexual sin to the Colossian church. Never satisfied and wanting more, covetous people tend to struggle in that area too. Anything we worship in the place of God won't satisfy. Do you believe the Bible? Do we trust the Bible? So what do we need to put to death? Satan sounded like God, but his words were false. And so we need to trust the scripture. We need to know the scripture so that we can trust it. And always working will continually leave us wanting to. God gives us the Sabbath to remind us that we are not God, that he is. And our success is not in what we produce. We are all created in God's image with the same dignity, value, and worth. And he looks at all of us the same, especially those who believe in him, my beloved son and daughter, in whom I am well pleased. The biblical solution for this issue of idolatry is Jesus, God's son, the giver of the gift that we truly need. Jesus says this in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you have food and water with which you will be content. True contentment is being satisfied in Jesus as the bread of life and the satisfying water that he provides for you that will quench all your thirst. It is believing the gospel, the good news of salvation, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection, friends, that will satisfy us. The 18th century missionary David Brainerd he acknowledged that our absolute dependence on God is on every crumb of happiness we enjoy. Your marriage will disappoint. Your dream job will disappoint. Your finances, your kids, the company ladder, your retirement, or even being an empty nester, all of it at some point will disappoint. But Jesus, friends, never will. And so proper hope is grounded in biblical teaching and believing the truth. And so we believe the scriptures that reveal the gospel. We believe the truth and we look towards heaven, a proper hope of a life to come. But this also doesn't mean we just sit around and do nothing. We just deal with our circumstances. You guys know Josh Abedi. For 150 years, his church in Concord, Vermont had no restroom. He didn't preach, hey guys, sorry, hold it until the service is over. They got a restroom a couple years ago and they rejoiced on that. 
In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were in prison, and yet we find them in that book singing and worshiping because their circumstances didn't change their affections. Biblical contentment is more than just happiness. It's joy that exudes from within us, working its way out of our hearts in worship. And they made it out of jail. The doors didn't open, and they're like, well, God wants us to be content, so we're going to just stay in here. They left. We saw this already in Timothy, where godliness is of some or is of great value and of value in every age, but bodily training is only of some value. We are to grow in holiness. We are not to just be content with some things. We put effort into things because God has earned our salvation for us, where we participate with God in growing in holiness. And ultimately, we trust God, our sovereign, loving Father, to accomplish what He wants in us. And so it's okay to grow. We talked about this on Wednesday night when we talked about spiritual discipline. But it must be based on the truth of God's Word and the trust that we have in God. Healthy things do grow. We grow in putting off our sin. But in Colossians 3.1, we also grow, most importantly, in putting on righteousness. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so I think we can learn from some friends from 350 years ago, the Puritans, in a diseased city of London, hostile towards their beliefs, always wondering if they were going to be burned at the stake or put into prison or killed by the king or queen at the time. And two significant books were written at this time. Two Puritans wrote different books. One is Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment. They're very helpful. I would encourage you to read them. Consider what we put on based on our values as a church, where biblical authority is what we value first and foremost. And the Puritans, they rested in Scripture. Burroughs wrote this, The Scripture says that the Lord is our strength. God Himself is our strength, and Christ is our strength. And there are many Scriptures to that effect, that Christ's strength is yours, made over to you so that you may be able to bear whatever lies upon you. And so, church, we must remind each other of the Scriptures and to trust them. Or fellowship, another value of ours. The Puritans, they knew they needed each other. Watson says this, Many Christians are like sieves. Put a sieve into water and it's full, but take it out and the water all runs out. So although they're hearing the sermon, they remember something of value, but like a sieve, as soon as they have left the church, it's all forgotten. So church, we must remind each other of these truths, and to do that, we need to do that together. We need each other. That's fellowship or the breaking of bread, the gospel. Puritans knew they needed the gospel too. Burroughs says every comfort that the saints have in this world is an earnest penny to them of those eternal mercies that the Lord has provided for them. Church, we must remind each other of these truths in the gospel and also continually remind us, each other, to believe the gospel. And finally, prayer. Puritans went to God with their requests. He says, uh, Watson says, we pray 
lead us not into temptation. But then we lead ourselves directly into that temptation of our own accord. Friends, we need to remind each other of these truths. We need to encourage each other to trust these truths and praying for one another. It wasn't lead me not into temptation. Remember what it says? Lead us not into temptation. We do this together. And so let's put our sin to death and let's put on righteousness. We fight our sin when we see our evil hearts act unbiblically and we rest in the hope that we have everything we need in Christ. Because when God says he will save his people from their sins by believing the gospel, friends, he will save his people from their sins, you and I, because he keeps his promises. And so let's believe the scriptures and let's trust in our loving heavenly father. Would you pray with me? As Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, we thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That we can be content with all we have. The precious mercies of your gracious and loving hand and sending your son to die in our place on the cross for our sins to be buried and to raise after three days to provide us a life that is eternal a life that lasts a life that is much more precious than anything that this world could provide for us but God we acknowledge that it's hard to believe that at times and so we exclaim like the father who wanted his child to be healed I believe but help my unbelief God we ask that you would give us the gift to believe to trust there's great treasure with you and the temptations are always around us to go after and follow other idols and gods God, would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so God, we want to lift up our voice to sing of how great and, and loving and merciful you are as we close out our time today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.